I love the Christmas season, and I want to thank my wife for doing the beautiful job she always does on our stage. Uh, she worked hard on it. So my wife, Donna, she's, she's the talented one in our family. Uh, I can talk. She does everything else. And uh, so I'm grateful for her. Merry Christmas on behalf of our family to your family. And we wanted to, we wanted to focus in on a wonderful truth this Christmas about Emmanuel, God with us. And I asked some friends of mine this week what their favorite Christmas movies were, and I thought I'd share with you their, their top 10 in no particular order, but as uh, some of you responded to me, uh, these are the favorite Christmas movies that you shared with me. First of all, you said was A Christmas Carol. How many of you would agree with that? A Christmas Carol. Favorite Christmas movie? Anybody else? Yes. Some said a, uh, the, the favorite was White Christmas. That's a good classic, White Christmas. How about Miracle on 34th Street? That's another good one. Elf, of course, Elf made, made the list. You know that. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. That's a great classic Christmas movie. Or The Grinch. How about you? Have you ever heard of The Grinch? Yes. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, I know some of you. You made sure that was on the list. Uh, and then I think very fitting for all that's preceded us in the year 2020, The Nightmare Before Christmas. That was uh, some of you, uh, your favorite. And then, of course, All the Dads said a great Christmas movie, of course, Die Hard. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then the number one Christmas movie that you shared with me, Home Alone. How many of you voted for Home Alone? Anybody else? Yes. You know, Home Alone uh, is, is a great movie. You know, poor little Kevin McAllister. His family is planning this great once-in-a-lifetime trip to Paris, France, and they're so excited uh, to go at the Christmas season. But the night before they're to leave, Kevin has a big brawl with his brother, Buzz. And because of that, his parents send him to his room. Happens to be on the third floor of their home. The next morning... In the hustle and bustle of getting ready to make it to the airport on time, the family uh, forgets poor Kevin. By the way, if you haven't seen Home Alone, I'm, I know the, I should have said spoiler alert, but come on, you, you should have seen it by now. So anyway, uh, <laughs> and so poor Kevin wakes up to find out that he has been left behind. He has been left home alone, and at first he is excited about it. He doesn't have to put up with his, his bully brother. He doesn't have to put up with his uh, domineering family. And he has the run of the house to himself. He has a whole pizza to himself. He, he's able to jump up and down on his parents' bed. He's able to just generally make a mess of the house. Until things then turn scary when he finds out that uh, two robbers are planning to rob the house on Christmas Eve, thinking the house is vacant. Uh, these are the wet bandits. And so the rest of the movie is Kevin basically setting up booby traps in his home to ensnare the robbers and to bring them to justice. And as one dad told me this week, Ricky, you do know, don't you? Home Alone is just diehard for kids. <laughs> so maybe, maybe there's a point there. Maybe there's a connection there. But there's something familiar about all of these movies. All of these movies even though they're celebrating Christmas in one way or the other, have scary elements in them. There's tension, there's problem, there's drama, there's pain, there's fear, there's anxiety. And it's as if problems never take a holiday. 
It's as if scary situations never take a holiday. And that is certainly true. Not only in the movies, it's true in your life and it's true in my life. That scary situations do not take a holiday. I'm sorry to tell you, but marriage problems don't go away just because it's the month of December. People don't stop passing away just because Christmas is approaching. Families don't still feel the pain of financial stress on their budget just because it's the holidays. This world doesn't simply turn away from racism and prejudice and hatred just because it's Christmas time. No, problems don't take a holiday. And one of the things that I love about Christmas is that it's real. Because just as problems don't take a holiday in our day, they certainly didn't take a holiday at the first Christmas. We sometimes think the first Christmas was so pristine and so perfect and so beautiful, just like our wonderful nativity sets that we gently and perfectly set up in our homes. And yet that's not reality. The first Christmas was replete with problems and fears and tensions and disappointments and wondering, where's God in all of this? And because of that, I can connect to the real Christmas story. I have trouble connecting with the stories that seem perfect, seem polished, seem prepared. I, I have trouble connecting with the, the perfect-looking Christmas cards with the beautiful Christmas scene on it. I, I can't connect with those beautiful pictures of little country churches with the fields all around them in white snow and a red ribbon on the front door of the church. My heart longs for that, but it's not real. I can't connect with that, but I can connect with the fact that the first Christmas was filled with people who were struggling with problems. And I think that's where we are today. I know as a pastor, I can promise you the problems of life don't take a holiday because I'm dealing with people every single day who are hurting. And sometimes it feels like the Christmas season compounds the pain. The Christmas season can be hard when you're trying to be a part of other people celebrating Christmas and yet you are looking to the day when you sit down with everyone around that Christmas tree knowing there's someone missing who was here last year, but they're not here this year. They've passed away. For some of you, you know what it is to feel the tension of this first Christmas of having to divide up your time between your divorced parents now. Some of you know what it is to struggle thinking it's Christmas time and I want to give gifts, but I'm struggling to pay my bills. And I'm dealing with a lot of those kind of pains but rather than Christmas compounding the pain, Christmas as it really is ought to help us through our pain. I want to take you to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, because I want us to look at the life of Joseph. Yes, the Joseph of Mary and Joseph. Because we see in Joseph's story that scary situations perplexing problems and pains don't take a holiday. And we find him struggling where his, his whole world has been turned upside down. Everything seems perfect one moment and exciting, and then the next moment everything is going wrong. And he's heartbroken, and he's fearful. And I can relate to that Joseph. I can't relate to the plastic Joseph on the manger scene in the front lawn of many homes, but I can relate to the real Joseph 
as revealed in Scripture because I can relate to his pain. I can relate to his fears. I can relate to his questions. I can relate to his concerns and, and what he learns at that first Christmas season that changed his life, that transformed his life. And I'm not, I'm not using hyperbole here. What, what he eventually learns about God transforms his life from that moment forward is the same lesson about God that we can learn. And I want us to learn it together. I want us to discover it together. Or maybe I want us to remember it because perhaps we've forgotten it in this year, 2020. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Get the picture there. Read this as if it's the very first time you're reading it. Matthew says the first Christmas wasn't perfect. No, in fact, it took place like this. He says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, in those ancient days, most marriages were arranged between two families. Sometimes the couple knew each other and loved each other. Sometimes they didn't know each other quite well, but the hope was they would come to know and love one another. We don't know a whole lot about Mary and Joseph in those early formative years, but we know that she was a young teenager. Joseph's probably a little older than her. And we see from everything we can read about Joseph and his feelings towards her is that he really did love her. He really was excited about the marriage with her. He was a good man, and he felt like he had found a good woman to be his wife. The betrothal period was kind of like our engagement period, and yet it was a lot more serious than our engagement period. Legally speaking, a betrothed couple in that day was as good as married. And to break the betrothal period was basically to have a divorce. So they're in this betrothal period that could last about a year, and then the wedding ceremony would celebrate the wedding and the consummation of that wedding where the two would come together as one. Not only in the wedding ceremony, but one in flesh. And that's, that's Matthew's nice way of kind of describing it when he says when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. This is before the wedding ceremony. This is before the wedding night and the honeymoon. This is before they've had any intimate sexual relations. And Joseph is preparing for that day that he brings his new bride home and that they can celebrate their new life together. He's probably got plans and hopes and dreams for the two of them. But then it was found out that she was with child. And we know because Matthew, as the narrator, is telling us that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know this yet. No, this is us getting to listen in on the story from the narrator's perspective. But as far as Joseph knows, he has found out the worst news any man can find out about his fiancée. She is pregnant, and I know I'm not the father. Devastating news. Millions of questions. How could you do this to me? When could this have happened? How could you have kept this a secret? How did I not know? What, am I a fool that I didn't see this? 
You can only imagine how disturbed Joseph is. Verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, a good man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In that ancient law that Judaism still really didn't practice much then, he had some rights to say, I'm going to publicly out you for your infidelity to me, and you're going to live the rest of your life as a scorned woman. You've betrayed me, I'm going to expose you. But he was a righteous man. He was a good man. And he really did care for her. And he didn't want to do that to her. He was unwilling to put her to shame. So he said, let's just do this quietly. Let's make it legal that we're no longer a couple. And let's just go our separate ways. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now Matthew is quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel appears to Joseph in his dream and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. She's not betrayed you. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. As a matter of fact, Mary has become the faithful servant of the Lord. And the child conceived in her is not from a man. The child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't blame Joseph if he woke up from the dream saying, I still don't know if I can make sense of all of this. A virgin conceiving a child, how do you make sense of that? Sometimes there are all kinds of things surrounding births of babies that don't make sense. <laughs> if you went to Cambridgeshire, England, and there you went to Bourne Hall, it would look like just another country estate, just another manor on the English countryside. And yet there in Born Hall in 1978, a physician and a physiologist came together and they did something that astounded the world. They took the contribution of a human father and a human mother and put it together in a petri dish and then implanted that in the womb of a mother and the first test tube baby was born. And it astounded the world but this is nothing like what Joseph had to wrap his mind around. He had to wrap his mind around the fact that without any human intervention, without any human contribution, Mary is with child and it is of the Holy Spirit that just as the Spirit of God brooded over the earth in Genesis at creation, that same Holy Spirit, the same power of God brooded over the womb of Mary and Jesus is 
going to be his name because he is the son of God. And he will save his people from their sins. In the person of Jesus through the virgin birth, you have the union of full deity and full humanity in one person. Jesus is God of very God and man of very man. The perfect God-man. He has two natures in one person, a divine nature and a human nature, but he's one person. He is the Son of God born into this world and born of a virgin. The word virgin that we have here in Matthew's gospel as well as a couple of times in Luke's gospel in the Greek language is parthenos. You're familiar with that word whether you know it or not. If you go uh, to the ancient Greek city of Athens and you go up to the Acropolis, uh, the, the name Acropolis literally means high place, uh, the acro, high place of the polis, the city. And so up on the Acropolis, the high place of the city of Athens, are the beautiful ruins of an ancient temple called the Parthenon. And it was the temple dedicated to the virgin goddess of Greek mythology. The word Parthenos, Parthenon, has always meant virgin. It's always meant a woman of marriable age before sexual intercourse. And this is a virgin, Joseph. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. This is the work of God. And that one born of her is going to be named Jesus. That's what you're going to name him. I'm sorry, you don't get to pick out his name, Joseph. You and Mary need to return that book, 1001 Baby Names, to the library. You're not going to need it. Because his name is going to be Jesus. And all of this, Joseph, the angel says, and Matthew tells us, is fulfillment of God's plan. God has predicted this. God has prophesied this for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. Not only is he going to be called Jesus, he's going to be called Emmanuel, not as a proper name, but as a title of who he is and what he does. This child is none other than God in flesh. He is God with us. Emmanuel. And listen, that changes everything for Joseph. The knowledge that Jesus to be born is God's son and he is God with us. He is the answer to our prayers for deliverance from our pain and our oppression and our sin changes Joseph's life. How do I know it changed his life? Because how he responds. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. What did the angel say? Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And so he wasn't afraid. He took her to be his wife. Verse 25, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Think about that. You think about what difference it made for Joseph to know that God was really with him in that moment. It gave him courage 
It gave him conviction. It gave him fortitude. It gave him the ability to love. It gave him the ability to trust God's plan, even when God's plan doesn't always make sense to us. It gave him the ability to obey God and to say yes to God, even when it meant God was turning all of his plans upside down. What would you do if, like Joseph, you knew that God was with you? That's a question each one of us have to wrestle with this Christmas season. Just because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, doesn't mean our problems go away. They didn't go away for Joseph. Joseph and Mary lived the rest of their lives with people whispering behind their back, sure, he's virgin born. Sure, that child is of God. Yeah, right. We've heard it all now, haven't we, of how people excuse their infidelity or excuse their sin No, people whispered behind their backs for the rest of their lives. They bore the shame of the gossip of the town. But Joseph didn't care anymore what anyone else said because God had spoken. And what God said was bigger and greater and stronger than what anyone else could say. And because he knew God is with us, Mary. God is with us, our little family. We can do what God's called us to do. Life won't always be easy. It won't always be convenient. We won't always be popular. But God is with us, Mary. And he did the right thing. What would you do if you knew God was with you? Because the same God who is Emmanuel for Joseph and for Mary is the same Emmanuel for you where you are today and what you are going through today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says. He is still God of very God and man of very man. And that means two things at least. It means that he can understand and represent God to man. And he can understand man and represent man to God. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you feel. As a man, Jesus was thirsty. But as God, he said, I can walk on water. Watch this. As man, he became hungry, but as God in flesh, he fed over 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. As man, he grew weary and tired, but as God in flesh, he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As man, he knew what it was to be betrayed and forsaken and left behind But as God in flesh, he said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. And yes, even as man, he knew what it was to suffer and to die. But as God in flesh, he rose from the dead on the third day. And this is our Emmanuel. And I don't know what you're facing, but when you know God is with you, it'll give you courage, it'll give you strength, it'll grow your faith, it'll draw you closer to God because he is still Emmanuel, God with us. That's Christmas, friends. It's the real Christmas, not the postcard Christmas. Not the perfectly manicured and photoshopped Christmas. It is the real Christmas from the first Christmas to this Christmas. That scary situations and painful problems don't take a holiday, but neither does our God. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. Many years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Adrian Rogers. He was the 
pastor at the time of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Wayne and Shelley Simmons had the privilege of knowing and having him as their pastor. And I got to meet him and spend a few hours with him for a few days as he poured his life into a few preachers, young preachers coming up. And he told us a story one day. He said, he said I was on an airplane and I, I, I struck up a conversation with a man, a business person. And the businessman asked me, what do you read? What often do you read? And Dr. Rogers, the pastor, said, well, you know, I read, I read all kinds of books and journals, newspapers, Time magazine. And he listed a lot of the things he would read. He said, but most often, I read the Bible. And the businessman said, how do you mainly read the Bible and then know what to tell people when you get up and talk to them? And he said, well, it's simple. The Bible speaks to the three problems of man. Man only has three problems. Sin, sorrow, and death. And the businessman said, no, no, no. Man has a lot more problems than that. And Dr. Rogers said, well, I'll tell you what. Go to your seat and think about it. When you think of a fourth problem, come back and tell me. He said later in the flight, the businessman made his way back up to his seat and said, man only has three problems, sin, sorrow, and death. And you think about it, every problem you and I face fall under those categories, sin, sorrow, death. In Emmanuel, God with us addresses all three of our greatest problems. Your problem is sin. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Your greatest problem is sorrow. Like the prophet Isaiah said, I am a man of sorrows, and I am acquainted with grief. Your greatest problem is death. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way to get there, you know. Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. Lord, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is still Emmanuel addressing our great problems of sin, sorrow, and death. Come to him. Because this Christmas, God's presence with you is his greatest present to you. That's really what Christmas is about this year. It's not so much about the gifts we're going to give each other. God's presence with you is his present to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for your word that reminds us that Jesus is still Emmanuel, God with us. The Son of God come into this world. And God, we thank you and praise you for that great Christmas gift that you've given us. That your gift to us is your presence with us. And God, I pray that right now as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed or if people are watching or listening from home or they're in the car, I pray they wouldn't close their eyes. <laughs> but I do pray that right now they will ask this question. What difference does it make in my life 
to know that God is with me? What difference can it make in my life as I face this struggle, as I face this problem, as I face this pain, if I know that God is with me? Because God, sometimes you feel a million miles away. We're just going to admit it. God, sometimes your ways are mysterious to us and we don't understand them. God, we're just going to come out right and say it. God, sometimes you just don't follow our plans and life takes a detour. But God, today you've reminded us that no matter what happens to us in life, you are still Emmanuel. You are God with us us, with us wherever we are, with us in whatever we're going through, with us no matter what we feel or how we're hurting. And the knowledge that you are with us changes everything. Because now we don't have to face our problems or our pains alone. Now we have you. We lean on you, God. And we thank you for the courage and the strength and the peace and the healing and the help and the hope and the joy and the love that comes from knowing that you are still God with us. And Father, if there's anyone right now who desperately needs Jesus, I pray that they would recognize he's available to them. All they have to do is believe on him. And today they can receive the gift of eternal life. May they turn from their sin, seeking your forgiveness and receiving Jesus as your son. And Father, whatever decisions you're calling us to make today, let us take that next step and let us tell someone else that we've taken that step. Maybe going to our website, connecting with us and letting us know today I've committed my life to Christ on the Let's Connect card. Or scheduling a baptism to say, I'm going to go public with my faith in Jesus. Or maybe to tell a friend that invited them to watch this or listen or to come today. Today, I'm trusting that Jesus is my Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for what you will do in our lives through Emmanuel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys. God bless you and Merry Christmas.